So we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. Um, in my red Bible, it's page 131. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as, as a man d disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So our next reading will be from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And that's on page 682. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fa fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not, come, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up your, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high king, a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Okay, now as um, topics like supernaturalism goes, today's passage is one where we really do encounter the supernatural, don't we? God, Jesus, the devil, and as a kid I can remember reading a kid's Bible showing a picture of Jesus up on the high point of the te temple with the devil there with him, complete with looking like a, a goat's head and things like that. It was a picture that was etched in my mind as a kid growing up thinking about God, Jesus and the devil. What an interesting passage we've got before us. Well, let us um, come before the Lord and ask him to help us make sense of how this uh, fits into our world uh, and how we should understand life as God's people. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time we have together now to think about this passage we pray that you'd help us to understand more of who Jesus is and what he's done for us 
and we pray that you'd help us to be strengthened uh, today as your people in, as we respond to it. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The struggle against temptation. Well, I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear that we're dealing with the topic of temptation. What do you think of when you think of temptation? If you found yourself failing at temptation and been discouraged in that process, it's important to remember that God's word today does give us some encouragement. Because whatever struggles you've had with temptation, the fact is God understands them. In fact, Jesus has experienced them all. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weakness, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so the key here is that God understands our situation. The various temptations that we experience aren't a surprise to God. In fact, Jesus understands them firsthand because he's been tempted in all things just as we are. So that's the first thing to note. God understands our temptations. And so today we're not going to spend time uh, dredging up all of our failures to succumb to temptation. Instead, we're going to give some thought to Jesus who can sympathise with us. And we'll consider the great hope that we do have in Jesus who's been shown to lead the way, the right way, before us. And we'll think about the challenge that we have now to live up to our calling as God's people in relation to the topic of temptation. The context for this passage is the wilderness. Jesus has been baptised. The voice came from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. That's what's happened just before this moment when Jesus heads off into the desert. Having had that declaration made, we can see that he is the Son of God. And it's with that verdict, that declaration, that he then heads off into the desert. If it's true that Jesus is the Son of God, what's that going to look like in practice? What's it going to mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? If it's true that he's the Son of God, what kind of son will he turn out to be? Israel was also described as God's son. They had one kind of experience. What kind of experience will Jesus show that he has as the Son of God? Now, the words for tempting and the words for testing, in the original, it's actually the same word. The word's parizo, and it covers both ideas of being induced to, you know, to be tempted to rebel against God, and also the idea that Here's a moment of testing of, like when the opponents came to Jesus with a, a trick question and they were testing him. It's the same word that's been used. But the first test is about trusting God to provide. I'm going to read to us from verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is very understandable that he was hungry, isn't it? I, I get to about 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm already hungry. Uh, he's done very well. Jesus is led by the Spirit. Now, that's not just Matthew's just trying to pat out this, this writing, you know, I better just chuck something in there and 
you know, I'll just put spirit in as well. Now, this is important for us to understand that Israel in the past was led out of Egypt by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This was God's glory spirit leading the people of God. And here at this point, the spirit is there leading the son of God. And whatever else happens with the devil, it's important to note that this grows out of the, de- of the spirit rather leading Jesus into this time of testing. So we take it that this testing is something that God's allowing. This is, this is testing from God for Jesus. It's a situation where Jesus finds himself having to make some choices. Is he going to trust in God or is he going to succumb to temptation? Now we can see the parallels pretty easily, can't we, between some of what's happened in Israel's history and what's happening with Jesus. There's a couple of common threads. One is the wilderness or the desert. The other one is that Israel was there for 40 years and Jesus has been there for 40 days and 40 nights. And while Israel was in the desert, they had some choices to make. Would they trust God to provide food for them? Well, before the Israelites go in and take the promised land, Moses decides to encourage them. Moses doesn't enter the promised land. He actually dies outside of it, but he can see it. He's at Mount Nebo when he writes down a book called Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. And he called on the Israelites to remember their time in the desert. Not just their time there, but also the lessons there about trusting in God. And Jacinta read some of what he wrote earlier. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you. Israel was in the wilderness to learn a lesson, to learn to be humble before God, to learn to trust God. And it was to see what was in their hearts, whether they would actually follow God's commands. And as a generation's about to enter into the promised land, Moses wants to encourage them to remember that lesson about trusting God as they go forwards into the future. And what was God teaching them in the past that they should know in the future? Well, it was the lesson at the end of verse 3 to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, if we fast forward into the New Testament, we find that Jesus is in a similar situation. He's being tested perhaps to see what's in his heart. Is he willing to obey God's command? He's in the desert and he's hungry. What's he going to do? Is he going to trust God to provide or not? Well, right on cue as Jesus is being tested, Satan enters the scene. This is a supernatural thing, isn't it? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's interesting that he raises that point, doesn't it? If you are the son of God. Well, it's already been established from the voice from heaven that he is the unique unique son of God. There's no doubt about that. But the question is, what kind of son will he be? Satan seems to be challenging Jesus to go on in life without respect to God's word, to take an easy path, 
to perhaps indulge in his power as the son of God and use things for his own gain. The temptation involves something we're practical. We're all familiar with the temptation of food, aren't we? Stones into bread in this occasion. And we're given the impression from Jesus that uh, he's avoiding doing that. Going down that path would be the wrong thing to do. It wouldn't be a way of trusting God's provision. Just as Israel had to trust God for uh, the manna and the quail, Jesus is trusting God for provision in this situation. But Satan's keen to drive a wedge between God the Father and God the Son. He's, he's comfortable uh, getting between God the Father and God the Son. Well, Jesus chooses to reject the temptation. Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where Israel grumbled in the past uh, and didn't always trust God, Jesus shows what's in his heart because he's faithful. But what does it mean when he says that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God? What does that mean? Let's think about how we'd interpret that. In the first place, we cannot separate God's, God from his words, can we? Yeah, God is identical to, to what he says is true. And we need to listen to God if we're going to have life with him. So I take it that living on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord involves relying on God, trusting God. God is the source of all life, even before food, things like bread, give us life. It's not good enough just to have bread in order to have life. We need to have a relationship with God. To have life. And so the challenge from this passage for people like us is to, to follow Jesus' lead and to remember who it is that provides. Remember that we need to be serving God first and foremost and putting material things, like that was in that song that got sung earlier, the line about things falling apart. I felt a bit like that as I get older. I feel like I'm falling apart. We need to be among those who... Remember that God's the one who provides. And material things need to be enjoyed and put in their right place. But I, I think I find it a lot easier to remember which place to put material things every time I go to a funeral. I went to my grandmother's funeral recently. She turned 95 a while back. She was nearly 96. That's a good run. And the pictures that came up, they weren't about... You know, the BMX bike, well, she didn't have BMX bikes in those days, but they weren't about sort of special material things. The things that were important in my grandmother's life were serving the Lord and, and loving people. But it's at, at the funeral times we rem remember that life with God is the key and that material things have a place, but it's very much secondary. We need to remember that we live not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so may we be among those people who are thankful for life that comes from God. Let's be those who are grateful for that life that comes from Jesus who laid down his life for our sin, brings us forgiveness. And let's be a church that continues to have a, a high regard for God's word, to actually spend time uh, taking it seriously on these occasions. Some, some people don't really care about it. They, 
there's youth groups in town where they don't spend a lot of time looking at God's Word and thinking about it. They, they just think it's a time for entertainment, maybe a bit like the Scouts. But, but our church is different to that. We're actually committed to having a, a high regard for God's Word, both in this kind of forum, plus the Sunday school, the youth groups and the Bible study groups. And we've got to keep the high ground on that one, to keep, keep a high place for God's Word. That's something that we need to continue to value. Well, Jesus has rejected Satan's offer to exploit his power as the son of God. Instead, he's a faithful son. He shows he's, a, he's better than Israel. What's in his heart is, is a willingness to love God and obey God. We need to remember to be like Jesus, not to live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So let's keep valuing God's word. Well, test number two is declining to put... God to the test. Jesus has been invited to put God to the test and Jesus has declined that offer. Let's have a look at that in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, in this scenario, Satan shows he can also quote scripture. But Jesus disagrees with his twisting of scripture and his application of it. Satan's quoting from Psalm 91, which speaks about God's willingness to save his people, ultimately those who put their trust in him. But the idea that people should think that they can just find a bridge and go bungee jumping off it without having a bungee jumping cord and that God's going to deliver them is just from bad management. Is, uh, it's just not the right approach to God, is it? It's just sort of trying to manipulate God into doing something, you know, trying to control God and force him into some sort of miraculous rescue. Uh, this is just putting the Lord to the test. It's trying to be the Lord of the Lord God. And Israel was notorious for putting God to the test. I don't think they had the bungee jumping cord kind of example in their mind, but they, they put the Lord to the test when it came to water in the desert. In Exodus chapter 17, they grumbled and quarreled with Moses about water. In verse 2, they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Now, after striking the rock and water flowing out, we read, And he called that place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Moses reminded the next generation of the people's ability, propensity, desire to, to test the Lord in the past. And for the next generation that was going to enter the land, he encouraged them to look back on that time and not to be like that. And said in Deuteronomy 6.16, Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa, which means testing. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God. Now, that, that passage I just read there, does that ring a bell? 
Yep, it should, because that's the one that Jesus quoted uh, to the devil in Matthew chapter 4. He answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. If you're the Son of God, what would it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? Would it mean that he's going to be putting the Lord to the test and jumping off the temple? No, Jesus doesn't come to put the Lord to the test. He comes to do his Father's will. And that's what he says to his disciples when he teaches them to pray in the next couple of verses. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not to, he's not trying to do his own will. He's, he's seeking to do his Father's will. Well, in application, let's think briefly about how we might put God to the test. The probability is low that any of us are really going to find a high place to jump off, you know, and expect that God's going to miraculously save us. That's, that's unlikely to be a way that we're going to put God to the test. We're more likely to test God's patience in other ways. This is where you can have a little bit of a sleep or a break, by the way. <laughs> when I worked as a teacher, uh, there was nothing new in the situation where students might engage in what we called limit testing behaviour. I'll interpret that. That is behaviour that tests a teacher to their limits. Does that make any sense? You've probably done a bit of it yourself as a student. Well, I could really relate to this as a teacher. In fact, when I was at Teachers College, there was jokes about this kind of thing. If you were a naughty boy at school, don't worry, you'll get a taste of that as well. If you had did some limit testing behaviour when you were a student, well, as a teacher, you're going to have all these kids who have got limit testing behaviour. The old saying, give him a taste of his own medicine, you heard that one? Give him a taste of his own porridge. Well, I had plenty of medicine and plenty of porridge when I was a teacher, having been a limit testing behaviour kid at times myself. Where is all this going, you're wondering? That's, that's a very good question. This is going to, the link is now to God, not the teacher. Do we have limit testing behaviour when it comes to God? Do we put God to the test? Do we stretch the friendship with God when we flirt with sin? I'm sure it doesn't take you long or me long to think about areas in our life where maybe we stretch the friendship with God. We test God's limits. It doesn't take us long to think about areas in our life that we could probably improve in. Think about some of these ones. Self-control. How do you go at maintaining self-control? Are you good at keeping your head in all situations, remaining cool, calm, and not getting overcome and, and out of control, and saying things that you regret, taming the tongue? Have you got a tight rein on your tongue or, and never say the wrong things? What about avoiding things of a, a sexual temptation, like on the, the TV or the internet? What about grumbling? Are you tempted to be a grumbler or a gossip? Are these areas that we can improve in? Can we improve in having some care for people? Actually having a, a bit bigger heart, being magnanimous? Well, it doesn't matter um, 
how good you are, does it? Because there's always areas that we can look at it in our lives to improve, aren't there? It doesn't matter if you're the godliest person in this room. There's probably areas in your life where you know you put God uh, to the test, where you have limit-testing behaviour with God. You could, you could think about areas to, to be more godly in. Although Jesus was invited to put God to the test, he refused to play that game, which is wonderful to see. And we're called to follow his example, to turn away from ungodliness, to, to, to flee from temptation and to instead uh, grow in our desire to love and serve God. And so as we go into the week this week, let's think of areas that we could strengthen, we can improve in. Our self-control, taming the tongue, avoiding sexual temptations, grumbling, gossip, and not caring about people. There's all sorts of areas, isn't there, that we could, we could think about. So let's not put the Lord God to the, t- to the test. Well, the test number three is worshipping God alone. I'll pick this up in chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I'll give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. That's an important point, that verse 11, isn't it? Because Jesus trusts God to provide and then God does provide. I take it in this attending, he gets fed. Well, this is an interesting part of the Bible, isn't it? I get curious about which mountain... Uh, they went to in order to see all the kingdoms of the world, especially given that the world is round. And uh, I haven't really resolved which mountain it was, even if you went to the top of Mount Everest. uh, I don't think you'd see all the kingdoms of the world. Some commentators think this might be a a visionary moment that Jesus has had. It's hard to know, but that's something you can talk to me about at morning tea, which mountain it was. Either way, Satan begins to be quite direct here, doesn't he? All this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. It's a fairly blunt message. It's all about Satan at this point, isn't it? Elsewhere, Satan's described as the ruler of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, the serpent of old and the deceiver of the whole world. These are names given to Satan which recognise he is a personal being who has some power. And there is an expectation in God's word that God's king will reign over all at the end. There's an expectation that God's king is going to be king of kings and lord of lords. In Psalm chapter 2 verse 8 it says, Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And yet that is a promise of God to his king. So clearly it would have been wrong to take part in Satan's offer to, to have kingship. Well, Jesus sends Satan packing, doesn't he, with another quote. uh, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan seeks to undermine Jesus' resolve to do his father's will. And this pressure from Satan to Jesus not to go to the cross uh, comes up a little later. In Matthew 16, Peter doesn't encourage Jesus to suffer or go to the cross either. 
And Jesus responds to Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. To, to avoid the, the path of suffering and the cross uh, is not God's will for Jesus. And to, to, to turn him away from that has more to do with the plans of Satan. Jesus willingly goes to the cross. He puts his worship of the Lord into practice. This is no armchair worship. He doesn't say, I'll worship the Lord and, and not be obedient. Jesus shows that he's, he's committed to worshipping the Lord through his actions. And he's the one through whom redemption comes. And as for becoming king of kings, it, after he's raised, this is what we read in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. He says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so what Satan promised, which wasn't his to give, uh, Jesus becomes king of kings and lord of all, lord of all anyway uh, but he does it by obedience to god the father well let us think about this topic now of worshiping the lord uh, is this an area that we can strengthen as we think about what it means for us to worship god jesus put his worship of the lord into action and the wonderful news is that people like us are beneficiaries of his work that is terrific isn't it now that we are the people of God, what's going to mean for us to be those who worship God? Well, on days like today, this is what we might describe as corporate worship, where we worship the Lord together. And it's broader than just singing a few songs to the Lord. That is a good thing to do, to rejoice in the Lord. But that's, we're selling ourselves short if we think that's what worship is. It's, it's bigger and broader than that. And so we've got to remember that uh, as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, this is our spiritual act of worship, Paul tells us in Romans 12. This, this is the, uh, the challenge to think about other areas of our lives where we're consciously worshipping the Lord. And it doesn't have to be anything altogether radical like deciding to go to Africa to build a hospital and that's our worship to the Lord. It can be much more... Uh, mundane or small-minded is uh, just thinking about where God's put you in your life in the in the place that he's put you in the family that he's put you in the work or if you're not working whatever other sphere he's put you uh, being conscious of doing things for the glory of God that's that's uh, an important step on the journey to thinking about worshiping God in in the area he's put us in life it might involve being a bit kinder to the people who are around us for the glory of God. It might involve uh, going out of our way to do something that, that doesn't benefit our own interests to the glory of God. I heard about some doctors, uh, one doctor actually, who went and spent some time in a poor part of a city to do some medical work without payment. He just wanted to give up an afternoon each week where he did some medical work for nothing. The irony, or the thing that I thought was interesting about that, his decision just to do something a bit selfless led to two other doctors going and helping out an afternoon each week. There was no benefit to them, 
they did it because they were Christian people who wanted to bring glory to the Lord. It's that kind of thing that we could think of, I guess we can be more reflective and think about, well, what could we do for the glory of God? And, and those things often lead to conversations about the hope that we have and people becoming Christians as well. So it's just hard to know what seeking to worship the Lord in, in an intentional way can lead to as well. Well, our challenge this morning is, is to follow Jesus, isn't it? He resisted the devil. He passed the test, didn't he, as the faithful son of God. Israel wasn't as faithful. Jesus shows what's in his heart. He is the faithful son of God and he overcomes this time of testing. The Apostle Peter states that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith is the challenge for God's people. And so may God help us to be among those who do battle against the evil one, certainly this week. May our, our confidence rather continue to rest on Jesus. That's the right place for our confidence to be. Jesus is the one who overcame the devil. He was willing to carry out God's call for him to lay down his life for sins. He did that and he, he bears our sins and he brings salvation. So let us be those who do praise God for Jesus who comes as the willing son of God to suffer on our behalf. Let's praise God for Jesus who's been tempted in every way just as we have and yet did not sin. Let's give thanks to God for Jesus who's overcome. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks that uh, Jesus did trust you as the one who would provide, that he declined to put you to the test, and that instead of worshipping Satan, he worshipped you alone. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus, that he's overcome temptation and willingly uh, suffered for our sakes. We give you thanks for the fruit of his work. We give you thanks for the forgiveness of sins and that we have life with you. And Lord, we pray that as we live, we remember our place before you, that we don't simply live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from you. Please help us to continue to love your word and to live in response to it. We pray that you'd strengthen us this week as we battle against temptations of all kinds. Help us to have the resolve to flee from immorality, to flee from sin. We pray that you'd strengthen us to walk closely with you. And we give you thanks that we can encourage each other on days like today to do that. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.